Because September is Suicide Awareness Month, the next few episodes are in honor of those affected by suicide. As we've faced the pandemic and rising levels of pain and grief, suicide numbers have been on the rise. The pain of those who struggle with suicidal thoughts, as well as that of those who face the suffering of loss to suicide, are deep and intense. This episode is dedicated to all who have been affected by suicide in life and in death. My guest today is my friend Gordon Carmichael, who has been touched by suicide as a police officer, manager in the healthcare setting, and neurolinguistic programming therapist, as well as a friend. Join us in this compassionate and vulnerable conversation on an often very sensitive and traumatic topic. Welcome to another episode of the Share Your Stories series. This is a podcast experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. I help people convert grief into power. As we've faced the pandemic and rising levels of pain and grief, suicide numbers have been on the rise. The pain of those who struggle with suicidal thoughts, as well as those who face the suffering of loss to suicide are deep and intense. This event is a special episode dedicated to all who have been affected by suicide in life and in death. Today's guest is Gordon Carmichael, a warrior of the heart and transformational coach who has been touched by suicide as a police officer, manager in the healthcare setting, an NLP practitioner and friend. Formerly a senior officer in Strathclyde Police in Glasgow, Gordon still lives in his native city, in which he describes as remaining at the heart of Europe, despite political upheaval recently. On retirement and having untaken a diploma in personal-centered therapy, he secured a position within primary care as a manager, whilst he continued to volunteer with a counseling charity which this year celebrates 25 years, and which in 2018 was awarded the Queen's Medal for Voluntary Service. As an active leader in his community, Gordon has valued the concept of participatory leadership through his engagement with the art of housing, a global field of practitioners. With a COP26 due to be held in Glasgow in November, Gordon is committed to ensuring his positivity might encourage others to envisage what is possible for the people on this planet as we emerge from the pandemic. Gordon, thank you so much for being here with us. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. Thank you. Since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and this week in particular is dedicated to decreasing stigma and increasing support in this field, I wanted to invite you to share some of your experiences on this topic. You've had quite a diverse background working as a police officer, a professional in the healthcare system, and also as an NLP practitioner. Has there been a commonality for you in all of these fields? Yeah, yeah, I think there's been a huge, uh, a huge overlap. Um, it's funny when you look back on a journey and you, you, you see the milestones or you see the, the steps that have been taken. But um, I think in, a, in looking forward, you can't envisage what that might look like or how that might uh, unfold. But, but yes, certainly, I think there, there was a huge overlaps between my work as a police officer, um, 
dealing with and responding to and coping with suicide and trying to understand that and then finding out towards the end of my service that there was a there was a, an opportunity, a field of um, support that, that I was interested in and recommended for. And uh, that led to working in the medical practice as well. And that became quite a, a significant, significant journey as well. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think, yes, it's, there, is, there is a commonality and there is um, some people in the health uh, fields think that it's, um, they look in their work as, as in a silo. Uh, understandably, the, the, it's a specialist field, and they think that it's um, it should be protected. Uh, I had to, on a number of occasions, had to explain to people that working as a police officer, and I don't just mean myself, but various colleagues, are often therapists, first uh, responders, and uh, mm-hmm. and have and have dealt with the public just as much and just as varied a situation as, as medical practitioners do. So it's, uh, um, I don't think any organization these days can work in, in a vacuum. Uh, we, need to, we need to have more joined up thinking. And right, yeah. So, so it was just interesting, you know, kind of transferable skills, I think, and, and more likely transferable experience and, and, and valuable experience it led me to, to finding that kind of bridge between one, side of operational work and another and mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting but, um, good question <laughs> good question it's made me think myself which i hadn't quite i really hadn't quite you know put the, the nuts and bolts together of that but uh, yeah absolutely absolutely and i think it's fascinating that your work as a police officer prepared you for the work in healthcare. would you say that yeah absolutely it's um I don't know what the term term is in your country, but we 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 would refer to people as punters, and uh, and and say that you know it's 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 people punters patients and processes, and it was um, responding to needs and serving the public, um, and and that's that's the key role of a police officer, and mm-hmm. that was the key role in the practice. We had ten thousand patients in my own community, and uh, and being there to to ensure that they were being given the service uh, that as best as possible then then absolutely yeah obviously not in a, mm-hmm. a clinical um you know uh, supply i couldn't address some of that but uh, i i could certainly ensure that you know the, the proper nurse or nurses were available at the right times and things like that so mm-hmm. that, was, that was key you know. yeah so let's explore these different fields individually now you've done a lot of work related to suicide as well what was it like as a police officer when you were called to a suicide? It's interesting, I've been thinking back uh, in, in recent months about that. And I think um, with despite the best training, uh, and the training was good, nothing prepares you for the amount of death that you, you have to deal with mm-hmm. um, in a variety of circumstances, whether it's recovering a, a deceased body from the river or whether it's um, uh, dealing with a what we call a murder, you might call a homicide. Um, in any situation, it's individual, it's immediate. There's often very little time to plan and prepare your response to it. It's it, 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 you know you're there before you know it, and you're on you're on scene. And um, and suicide was 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 worse than any other death, perhaps because it was self-inflicted. It was the trauma for relatives 
mm-hmm. um, that, you know, having to come to terms with the, 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 their lack of knowledge or their failure to appreciate or they're, they're, they were just unable to, to provide what they thought was the appropriate care. They were just unable to, you know, so they were grieving. And I was lucky enough to attend your workshop um, recently about the difference between grieving and mourning. But operationally, um, you find yourself in a lot of houses and when there's a, a, a it's, not, it's not just maybe a, a death, it's possibly a suspicious death, or it's a self-inflicted death. Then mm-hmm. it's um, it's emotionally it's very harrowing to to be able to comfort maybe the relatives and uh, and loved ones. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, what lifted you or supported you in the face of all of that emotional heaviness day after day? I think there was a. I think generally there, there was. Um, intrigue, genuine interest, genuine interest. And there was always a question about, you know, what might have happened differently? What might what might have um, secured an individual's safety? What might have interrupted that process? And mm-hmm. having studied NLP recently and, and, you know, looking at that as an interruptory process of, of you know, breaking, breaking the mold or breaking the habit, you know, what might have interrupted that last significant 20 minutes or last day in somebody's life that that was the day they decided to visit the railway station or that was the day they decided to mm-hmm. jump off the harbour and um you know so but what lifted you was was camaraderie camaraderie knowing that your colleague was there for you and you you him or her and um and if i'm honest there was some humor interjected with that as well mm-hmm. there has to be absolutely um, yeah and um and I think, I think you know, increasingly that became a key component. Um, I'm, I'm really interested, and I saw somebody just the other day there was was advocating laughter therapy. Um, there's, there's, I think you know, one thing about the Scots is we're very good at laughing at ourselves, and uh, we do inject humour into a lot of situations. So mm-hmm. I think very often we had to bring humour into it. And um, and that wasn't been disrespectful. wasn't intended to be disrespectful. It might have been perceived at times as being totally misplaced or misguided, but it was actually crucial. And I think um, the work done recently on PTSD is is exactly that. Every one of these situations is a trauma. Every yeah. one of these is a trauma. It might not be a traumatic event like Afghanistan or Iraq, but um, it, it can be. It can build up to the trauma of of somebody and, and having to deal with that. So whatever mechanism works at that time to keep somebody on the on the path is and 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 back to work you know is mm-hmm. is really important so invaluable invaluable absolutely i was talking with a friend actually yesterday and she said that her brother died by suicide this past summer and she was she was at peace with it actually because she knew where her brother was standing um, she doesn't encourage suicide, but she knew the pain that he was in. And their mom died a few years ago, and she died of cancer. And my friend was her primary caregiver. And she saw how painful that was for her mom. And she talked with her brother about that process too. And her brother said, if I have to die like that in so much pain, 
I'm going to go out in the woods and kill myself. And so having that conversation earlier when their mom died, it made it understandable mm -hmm. for her now. And we were able to talk about her brother's death fully. And she's at peace with it yeah. because of the relationship that she had with her brother. And it was coming from a place of understanding. Yeah, I get it. I don't encourage it, but I get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that phrase, you know, being at peace, being at peace with it. Because I think in terms of a, of a sibling, a loved one or of a child, you never forget it. You never forget. And, mm -hmm. and even, even a close friend or a, a colleague, you never forget certain relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it would be wrong to say to people, you know, time is a healer and you'll get over this. You'll never forget it. You'll never right. forget it. But uh, coming to terms with it and, and being at peace with it, being at peace is, is, is part of that journey. And uh, I know that's the work that you're heavily involved in, but, but I think it's invaluable. I really do. It's, it's coming to terms and being at peace mm -hmm. um, for those who survive. Um, and I know there's a, a great deal of work now on survivors of suicide. And uh, it's, uh, I've worked with a number of people in that, in that, in that difficult, you know, trying to, you know, the first months, the first years, very, very difficult period in people's lives. Um, every situation is different, Jenny. I, mm -hmm. I can still, I can still remember this wasn't a suicide, but I can still remember going to a, a family household in Christmas Eve and explaining to this woman who was in her thirties uh, and her elderly parents that her fiance, who was driving up from London to be with her for Christmas Day, had been killed in a road accident. I had, I, you know, by my knocking in the door, I had just taken that girl's future right out of her heart. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm only there for half an hour, maybe at the most, 40 minutes. And I've just destroyed that girl's future. Just destroyed it. And the, parent, the parents were too elderly to really comfort their daughter. And I, I, I still live with that, that conversation. I still have that girl's you know, future in my hands to say, I wish I could have done something differently for her. I wish I could have offered her something different, but I couldn't. I was just there to explain the bad news so that she didn't, you know, get a, an email or a telegram or a text or whatever it would have been at that time. Right. And, um, so, so these are these are um, these are the difficulties that police officers across the world have to face with. So you're dealing with death and transferring information about death frequently. And I say again that when it's self-inflicted, it's 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 all the more complicated. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. So how is it, how is your experience with death and suicide different when you were in the medical field? That's, that's a good question. Um, I, I, clearly, I, I was more distant from the patients, um, invariably, more often, although mm -hmm. because it was my community, I knew many of them. Um, and sometimes I would come into contact with suicide in, in terms of where a patient was lost. Um, and dealing and engaging with the, the, the relatives. But um, particularly, as, as chance would have it, the practice that I was working with, we had a team of three dozen and, and one young man, I think from day one, I think from day one when I arrived in 2009, I clearly, I clearly understood he had mental health difficulties. Mm -hmm. And he subsequently told me that at some point in his life, he would he would take his own life. He, he told me, he didn't just tell me this once, he told me it frequently. 
you know, um, and every conversation probably we had or every other conversation we had was about his state of mind and when he took some time off work and then came back after a, an absence, he would tell me that he wished he'd just gone under a train that day or just, you know, that he hadn't come back. And I took him to psychologists, I took him to psychiatrists. I, I, I was his manager, I was his colleague, I was his friend, and, and at times confident, confident, but I was never his therapist. I could never, and he knew that, he knew that. But I knew that there was a darkness within him that, and. Uh, I actually warned my staff that we would end up at his funeral. And mm -hmm. uh, my colleagues thought that that was out of order. Uh, but I was proved right, <laughs> you, know, he, he, you know, we were subsequently at his funeral. Uh, nothing could be done for him. And, uh, it, it was, and that's left a, that's left quite a, a yeah, quite a scar, quite a scar. Because uh, sometimes there's just nothing that can be done. Mm -hmm. you know? So the difference was that you were uh, at that with with him. I was I was alongside him. I was alongside him. Yeah. Whereas in in counselling and uh, sometimes in coaching, you are certainly in counselling. I've been I've been with a number of clients uh, who are on that, on that journey, and have we've we've had long talks about that journey and um, the episodes that they've had. The episodes that they've had, and that, they call them episodes, and it's 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 fascinating to think to see how their mind works and detaches themselves from the reality of their, you know, and and they can see it almost as a, as you said earlier, almost like you know releasing themselves from the pain of their mm -hmm. existence, you know, um, and it's um, and, and finding some comfort in that, and it's 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 uh, these are difficult conversations to have with people, difficult. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, when I was first starting out as a grief worker, as a grief coach, a friend came to me and told me that her sister died by suicide. And she wanted some help planning a memorial service to honor her sister. And one thing that I told her as I was trying to comfort her and and be with her in that traumatic and very painful dark space was um, I believe that now your sister is able to get the healing and access the healing and the hope that she couldn't access on earth. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I do not encourage suicide at all because life is so, so precious. And I also have deep, deep compassion for those who are in such a place either but from pain or mental health challenges or impulsivity or whatever is is going on that they would choose to end their life i have such compassion for them yeah and 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 that's what that's what draws you and i and and hundreds of others to this this work I think is the is the compassion. Uh, nobody's nobody's um, nobody's wanting to encourage such action, but that's the. I think that's the nature of the work that, that we're drawn to, and uh, that we have the compassion to say, is there anything that we can do that would that would interrupt this and would provide an alternative to this side of things? Mm -hmm. 
It's certainly why I undertook the counselling uh, diploma. That's it was something that fascinated me, and you know, I would sometimes be with a deceased and 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 think, what could I have done? What what could anybody have done here? What might somebody have done? So, um, and yet you you understand that they've escaped. They've managed to exclude themselves or, or whatever. So. Um, but no, I, th- I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think the darkness that sometimes these people, um, the people I've spoken to, um, you know, when you have a conversation, when you try and have a rational conversation, but if you've been in that period or had moments of darkness yourself, then it, it makes you understand what they're experiencing. It, it lets you, it lets you be with them if you like, just to, yeah, you know, I I, I know what it is you're in and. Somebody showed me recently a, a beautiful extract from Benny Brown, you know, just about what really is empathy about being with somebody. And it, it's, it's a beautiful, simplistic um, episode of, yeah. Um, sadly, sadly, sometimes, you know, police officers just don't have the time to, to spend and it's, not, it's, you know, we, we get pulled away to other, other duties and mm-hmm. you can't do the follow-up almost and, and we're not there. The wonderful thing just now, and I think I was going to say this earlier on about Mental Health Awareness Week, is that there's such an increased enthusiasm to deal with this now, to tackle this, from from governments to local authorities to local agencies to schools, families, that, that it's no longer something to brush under the carpet or hide from or consider as a as a as a disease that shouldn't be addressed or shouldn't be recognised, it's, it's now yeah. Let's let's talk about that. And I've just I put a post out recently to colleagues, and there's a wonderful uh, documentary about this on television this week. And this and have that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. whether whether you think it's necessary or not, have that conversation. Are you okay, mate? Are you really okay? Is yeah. there anything I can do to help you? You know, never be afraid to tell me that you're not okay. You know, it's it's okay to be not okay, and and Absolutely. that's a change. That's a change in society. Yeah, that's a completely different thing from where we were even just ten years ago. So, and even the mental health awareness, we I think is far more prevalent now. Far more, you know. I think maybe the pandemic has just increased our consciousness and awakened us to the reality of this. That, uh, and and maybe maybe the problems get bigger. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't know the scale of the problem. It surprised me. Uh, for a long while, I was working at police headquarters, and we we get the kind of daily stats, and uh, you know, and that, that's been confirmed. Now. I know the stats in Scotland are you know they're incredibly high mm-hmm. for for males under fifty years of age, and it's not just males; it's not just under fifty year olds, but um, but the, the the stats are far too high, far too high, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And across the UK, so I'm sure it's the same in the States. I'm sure it's the same across the across the Western world. Right. And uh, something that you know we need to make some effort to deal with it. And and that's why we're doing what we're doing, you know. I, I like to think, you know. So mm-hmm. and the darkness is hard for I wanted to um highlight the darkness a little bit more too. It's not just hard for those who are affected by suicidal thoughts or mental health challenges the darkness is also very very heavy for those who have experienced suicide loss mm-hmm. yeah. and the grief the pain that comes from from that kind of that uh, perspective of suicide too 
And 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 I just add add one adjective onto that as as well as the guilt, because mm-hmm. the perception of guilt. I'm not saying it's justified or it's it's appropriate, but but they, they, there is a sense of guilt that they allowed this to happen, and which is misplaced. Clearly, it's often misplaced. But um, uh, yeah, we we, we I, I've known of a suicide uh, victim who had told his family, told his doctor, and uh, and still and still committed suicide within two weeks of of sharing that. You know. Um, so their their explanation of what what might we have done is is, is all the more harder, um, mm-hmm. so, and and supporting people with with that. I, I'm not I don't want to emphasise the guilt because it's not guilt. It's it's a perception of guilt. It, uh, uh, it's it's very 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 difficult, and 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 for for um, for family members and for uh, children. Regardless of their age, regardless of their age, uh, for children of, of of suicides, it's uh, it's difficult to to cope with. Come to terms with. Yeah. yeah. How have you helped people in the postvention in the suicide loss areas? Well, that's where um, coaching coaching has um, encouraged me, and you know, having me involved counselling first of all, and and worked with a number of people and. I remember there was one there was one uh, client I had um, who I was convinced would commit suicide. I was absolutely convinced this this gentleman who was a he was suffering he was suffering from loss because his son and daughter in law had become divorced, estranged, and he had lost touch with his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So he'd become estranged from his grandchildren, and he couldn't cope with that. And um, that kind of grief and. Um, I was so convinced that this gentleman would commit suicide. I phoned his doctor with his permission. And his doctor said, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But he's been everywhere else. He's been right around the block. He's been every system, every... You're, you're, you know, the, the charity that I was working with, I'm working with is, you're the last, the last hope. You know, my goodness. <laughs> you, know, and if, you know, it's just, it's just, really, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, that, that was the reality. That was this GP's reality that, there's nothing else that can be done for this individual, you know. So, so difficult. More recently, um, just before Christmas and again since Christmas, I've had a, a number of referrals where the survivors, they are survivors of suicide, and uh-huh. that's, that's that's very difficult. And particularly during um, the pandemic, where you tend not to be in direct contact, physical contact with clients, and you're seeing them digitally. Right. But, you know, it's difficult. To, it's 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 more difficult to. Well, to get to the heart of the matter, to to really get into the, you know, the, the centre of the, the the issue and what it is, but uh, I think you know people need to talk talk it through. And talking and talking therapies has now become, and I think employment uh, employers are beginning to catch on to this that it's 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 really important. And I think you know the whole concept of humane management is really important now, mm-hmm. um, um, where you know. Employment is important and work is important, but it's it's not the be all and end all. And um, it's a challenging role, and I, I I want to do more with it. And uh, yeah, talking to some of your colleagues or listening to some of your colleagues the other night just reminded me of, of that that it's every 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 situation is unique. Every situation mm-hmm. is, is absolutely unique. Doesn't it? It's very difficult to to put them into you know bandings or 
types or stereotypes or, or whatever. It's every, everyone is unique, and whether it's a, a a miscarriage or whether it's a you know a terminal illness or whether it's a a patient that's refused medical help, you know, because there's, there's that kind of long term suicide as well. But it's not an immediate thing, but it's a I just the kind of denial that I don't want to be here and if I have to die, then I have to die, you know. Right. That, that is a it's a prolonged suicide, which is maybe even worse, you know. But um in, in that um in that documentary I watched the other night there, there was a wonderful uh, gentleman, uh, Kevin Kevin Hine. Kevin Hine and he had jumped from the San Francisco Bridge. And uh he was as soon as he jumped as soon as he's left the, the parapet, he knew he'd made a mistake. And when he hit the water, he was praying to be mm-hmm. saved. And when the rescuers pulled him from the water, one guy said to him, oh, do you know what you've just done? And he had he had completely knackered his back. He had, you know, he had fractured his spine when he hit mm-hmm. the water. And he said, yeah, yeah. And, he said, and the other guy said, why? Why, you know? And his answer was, I thought I had to die today. I thought I had to die today, you know. He is now travelling the world, teaching folk, you know, to, to encourage people that there are there are different ways of doing this. So if you talk about it being in the dark space, that young lad was in the dark space, you know. Absolutely. He was in the dark space and he thought he had done it. But he now, he now advocates for people who are contemplating it and I think it must be great work, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, Satisfactory work, I think. You know, it's certainly it's helping him recover. It's interesting that you talk about the dark space because when I was working with my friend whose sister died by suicide, there was a night where she was so frightened and so um, worked up, and so um, in so much tension and in so much darkness and trauma. It was only like a week or two after the suicide. And she was in the um, cleaning up the aftermath of it. And she called me and said, I just can't go to sleep. I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. I I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And the lesson that she needed was to appreciate the darkness, actually. Because when we can appreciate the darkness, that allows us to also appreciate the light. Because if we didn't have that contrast, we wouldn't know the beauty of the light. No, no. If we only had light, then we wouldn't be able to see how awesome light is. But because we have the darkness, it gives the light more meaning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that very much. Uh, I like that. The uh, You remind me of the Leonard Cohen line, you know, and everything there is a crack. It's how the light gets in, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think I think you know that just sums up you know and everything and everything you know just the light must get in somehow you know and, and let it in. But, um, yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's, it's really really good. I think um, I think I've always been positive. You you talked earlier about you know being positive. I've always been very very positive. But I I, I have had instances where I. I was fully aware of the the situation I was in could merit for people that you know this might be this might be when you know and uh, another thing I wanted to say is that people people say the people who talk about it never do it just nonsense 
Just mm-hmm. total nonsense, right? My colleague at, at work talked about it every week, every week. Um, I think, uh, as I said earlier on, there is no hard and fast rules in terms of it. And and, and some mm-hmm. people who do do it you would, are the least you would expect, the most surprising, you know. Yeah. Um, a, parent, a parent in that documentary, his, his son was a sixth former, five A's, uh, captain of the school, you know, but uh, his parents had no idea, had no idea. And uh, and I think that's, that's uh, uh, I think a parent's loss can be, can be, you know, worse. Mm-hmm. Some of the worst funerals I think I've been to is when the when the parents have survived the children, and I think that's the it goes against the order, goes against the natural order of things. Right. Uh, I can still hear a woman's voice, a woman's screams when we showed her her daughter's jewellery that we recovered from a railway line, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I can still hear her, her her screams ringing in my head. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I was recently recently met and introduced a, a, a brave, brave lady, um, Caroline Cern, and she had been imprisoned in Zimbabwe and she was dealing with PTSD and she's now leading that field in research and charity. Um, very, very courageous, quiet, soft-spoken, elderly female. But, uh, uh-huh putting so much effort back into that field of, of uh, post-traumatic uh, stress. So fascinating, fascinating character. That's one thing that I've found um, as I've worked and talked with people who are suicide loss survivors is that often, not all the time, because everyone is individual and everyone's path is individual, um, but often they use the experience to turn it around to do some kind of outreach support to help others in similar situations and i think it's because they want to give back either what they wish they had and didn't get or what they did receive and they want to share that with others yeah yeah there's a there's a Common saying I hear often that we're all we're all a product of our circumstances, you know, and uh, and you know out of out of something dark comes comes good, you know. So if, if people mm-hmm. are enlightened to say I can put some of this back, I can I can I can maybe help and put, you know, there's so many different ways nowadays to do that. And yeah. sadly, I think society often relies and we kind of rely on charity too much, and we and pandemic has struck. Some of the charities are struggling and. And can no longer provide what we now appreciate were actually vital services. Were mm-hmm. you know were so important, you know, and that's a difficulty when charities actually become victims of of the the social circumstances themselves and can't can't provide that help. So there's a greater need uh, for people to put things back, to put something back, and say uh, so that's what I've loved about the the journey I've been on in fairly recent times now is. The number of agencies that are encouraging that, encouraging people to put, you've got the skills, you know, transfer it again and, and let let other people benefit from these skills, you know? Absolutely. And there's a lot of worthy, worthy, worthy people who are trying to find a path through that and uh, without getting stuck in too much bureaucracy, but necessary safeguarding skills. But 
but really, really focused and saying, I think I can help somebody here. I think I can do that. I think I can, mm-hmm. you know, and stepping up, stepping up is key to that, you know, stepping up and, and having the, the courage. And that's where you mentioned it earlier on, the warrior of the heart. It's a practice within the art of hosting that I, I was introduced to in 2014-15. And it's just a wonderful way and um, to be less combative, but using the strength and using the courage. Uh-huh. And, the, and the warmth from your heart to, you know, to fight against oppression, to to represent the underserved or the under, the undernourished or you know the undervalued. And so I, I, the the warriorship I think is is a real key point for me, and I use it quite often to people, to colleagues, to say you know show show that strength, show that show that fire in your heart or that warmth in your belly to say you know we can you can do some good here. You know, so. Right. Um, I love how you said that we are a product of our circumstances. Um, I was talking with a client earlier this week, and she was telling me her story and all of the things that she's experienced, the challenges, the struggles, the incredibly, um, incredibly dark places that she's been in. Now she has the opportunity to go out and teach others who are also in those circumstances, how she has used those experiences for her for growth. This is what I did. This is what I've learned from it. This is how I've grown through it. This is how it shaped me into the person that I am today. Now I can help you do the same. Yeah. Yeah, and it's having that. It's having that courage. It's having that. It's almost like a light switches on, and said, "I can, you know, I've been there, and I can, I can do this." Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something else that just triggered me there. It just you said something just about yeah, around the commonality. Oh, come back to me. Maybe it was just a yeah. There was some. There was something else that triggered something there for me that I thought, my goodness, that's. I haven't, I haven't spoken about that, but that's uh, is so significant. Yeah, I think I think you know um, in the early days in the police there was a recognition. I think particularly after Lockerbie that um, there had to be a kind of post-incident debrief, almost like kind of health and safety checking in and touching base with people. You know, and mm-hmm. it was the match with them to mock it or to to kind of think, I don't need that, you know. Um, I would hope that, that that's been far wider recognised now, that um, I know, and, and it's, it's been scientifically proven now, that, you know, every witness to an incident sees something different, you know, sees it in a different a different context and a different, uh-huh. in a different order of events. And I think it's only when you bring people together and, and share what, what, what it is that it can come out. And... Um, Again, through the hosting, I was I introduced circle work to my team, and it was amazing what came out. And, and again, some of the practitioners scoffed at the idea of what are you doing. I'm, you know, we're taking the tables away, and we're sitting in a circle. And what's this about? And after an hour or two, the, the the strength of that group and the ability to share, you know, professional um, misdemeanors, you know, in a trusted mm-hmm. environment 
we're, we're so powerful, you know. So, so I think for uh, group coaching, I think is is also in the right circumstances. Clearly, the right circumstances, but uh, the power the power of um, being in a circle with people uh, is from, and that's and that's that's triggered me to remind me what the other thing I was going to say was the commonality that you mentioned right, right at the beginning. I think what I've become to I've become just used so accepting now that that mental health mental fitness affects everybody regardless of their position in society yeah it doesn't matter at what point in the career ladder you're at it doesn't matter where you are whether you're a teenager dealing with adolescence or whether you're a pensioner having retired from your career at some point somewhere your mental fitness like your physical fitness might waver and, mm-hmm. and your mental mental health might suffer and without that support and that ability to sustain yourself is, is uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a top class professional you're top of the legal professional you're top it doesn't matter where you are everyone's susceptible to this everyone's susceptible to that what we might call the darkness of the yeah yeah and that's one thing that impresses me about you is your ability to really um, get people and role play people in various scenarios, really get into character and understand, empathize with others in their situations. So for someone who may be struggling with their mental health right now, what encouragement or advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. I think the... the in terms of role play that you you describe, I think I think it's um, having been in so many different situations, and uh, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm an actor or a, a theatrical performer, but but I'm flexible. Mm-hmm. I can adapt, and uh, I think I think you know I've learned to be able to adapt, and I think the training in the police was was key to that. That sometimes you have to be robust and rugged and and rough and ready, you know, and and powerful and strong to take charge and lead. Or, or issue directions, and other times you have to be really, really empathic and soft, and you know, um, <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I, I sadly we were we it was a uh, we had a an early gent was was found lying injured at a bus stop and sadly passed away, and it took us several hours to find out who he was. And because uh, he had no identification on him, and he was going to his work, and so we had to wait until the works got in, and somebody reported him missing, and then put two and two together. So about eleven o'clock in the morning, uh, we were sent up to his house to inform his family that we thought this is what happened, and it was a young officer, a young officer who was a very mature man, but hadn't been involved in this. And uh, somebody else asked me if I would go and help him. And I explained to him that it's almost good practice to go next door and find out the lay of the land and just make inquiries and, and see if there's a neighbor, neighborly support. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we did that, we did that. And we got in and the woman was, wasn't prepared to accept it. When she saw me at the door and she and she knew what was ha- what happened and she flew herself at me. She just flung herself her arms around me and I burst into tears. You know? Because I burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And I looked over her shoulder and my colleague, my young colleague was standing in tears, you know. The three of us stood there in tears for 10 minutes, you know, and not a word was said. And when I left the house, I said to my young colleague, well, that's how not to do it. <laughs> that's how not to pass the, the, you know, the message. But, you know, I still, you know, that was, that'd be 1980, you know, 79, mm-hmm. you know, and I still remember that. I still remember the layout of that house. And I still remember that. So it's just, uh, it's just incredible. I think for people who are. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you on that one, actually, because I think that is such a beautiful way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> In the tears, like sharing tears with her, with your colleague, and allowing your own tears yeah, yeah. to come out, to be expressed. Yeah. There is so much power in human tears. Yeah, yeah. They come out in our in our darkest times, in our most painful times. They come out in our most joyous times, in our times of laughter. That's right. No, it was, it was fascinating, you know, because you, you try and be that, you know, strong, robust, you know, individual, you know, and sometimes emotion just, just uh, overtakes you and you think, no, I can't do this, I, I can't, I can't do this. And, you, and I'm going back to that, uh, I love this word, human, humanness, mm-hmm. just, being, just being human, but humanness uh, and letting that out and it's being, and I think for coaches, it's, it's about being authentic, it's just about being, being completely authentic, being genuine. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you asked though about um, what would you what would you advocate or what would you recommend or how would you say it? And I, and I think I would have to say, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Talk to somebody. Find somebody, and, and here's the elements of it. Find or think of somebody who's, first of all, trustworthy. Somebody you can trust and who you know well enough that you know that you can trust but who can be independent of your circumstances. So it might not be your manager. It might not be somebody in your household or your family, but somebody you know you can trust. So it might be a, it might be a brother. It might be a, a, an ex-colleague. Or it might be a workmate. Uh, might be a former teacher. Mm-hmm. Somebody that you know that you've got a relationship with, that you know they'll listen to you without judging you. And, yeah. and, 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 and without, without having to tell you what to do, just hearing you, just listening to you, just hearing you and letting you work out what it is you need to do. You know? So, so I think that's, that's what I'd advocate is, is find somebody that you know you can trust and who you know will listen mm-hmm. and who knows you and will be independent and will not be judgmental. That's quite a, that's quite a small category of people in your life maybe, but there'll be somebody there will be somebody. It might be, it might be a priest. It might be a GP. It might not be. It might not be. It doesn't have to be one of these categories, right? Um, you know. So it, it is, you know, and 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 think about who who that person might be, you know. And then if you do have somebody, value that relationship because you never know when you might need them. You know. <laughs> you Absolutely. But, you know, make sure you know how to get hold of them when you do, because because uh, that might just be the person that will make the difference for you. You know, might just be the person that made the difference. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gordon. This has been incredible. <laughs> I hope it has. I hope it's been. I hope it's been all right. I, I tell you, Jenny, it's been a joy working with you. Um, for some months now, we've we've I think for most of this year, we've we've been working you know side by side, and I've really enjoyed. I've learned a lot uh, just just working with you, you and uh, what you brought. So. 
when the, you offered me this opportunity, I was delighted to accept it, really. You know, so, so thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I, I really, really thank you. Thank you. And I love how you tell your stories. And there, there's some, from, from my experiences, they're so varied from situations I would ever be in. Um, I'm primarily a, same, a stay-at-home mother. And so my world is largely at home, involved with my kids, my household. So to be able to, through you, experience life as a police officer, life as a manager in a healthcare setting, life as an NLP practitioner, it's such a gift to me to be able to have all of these different perspectives like you were talking about it's coming at it from a different perspective yeah, yeah. and getting all of these different witnesses so i can get a, a bigger picture of what it's like to be human to get a bigger picture of humanness yeah yeah so thank you, you. Know, i'm going to bat that right back at you okay i'm going to put it right back to your lap and tell you never ever you and you'll never hear me doing this underestimating the wisdom, knowledge, and influence of a mother, okay? A mother who has negotiated and managed, you know, expectations and given care, given comfort, you know, um, and the modern man is trying to manage some of that nowadays. But a mother who has raised, uh, many children do you have, four? four I have five. Five, five children, you know, um, Managing all that, managing their expectations and diaries and things like that. So never, never underestimate that. You know, these are the true leaders in our communities. <laughs> 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 and I think you know, Centrist the Scottish Parliament's just about proven that realistically because we're nearly, we're nearly up to fifty percent representatives this week. You know, uh -huh. some of the parties I think have gone over fifty percent. Um, so it's um, it, it's just interesting and. Uh, you know, and and I, I I came across something today historically that in 1915 there was a a, a rent strike led by women. You know, uh, because people were going to be, you know, put out of the houses for for failing to pay the rent, and the women led the riot. The women led the demonstration, and it was uh, Mrs. Bell, Mrs. Barbara's army. Uh, you know, uh, 1915 that's, that was happening. So that's fantastic. Uh, you know, so it's uh, so so never mm -hmm. underestimate you know what what you what you you learn as a as a mother. Uh, that's a journey and a half. <laughs> Thank <laughs> as you. A, as a parent, I know that. <laughs> yeah, it has been an incredible journey for me, and it's interesting that you say that because working with the grief of my children over their losses. Yeah, like yeah. the loss of a headband, the loss of the opportunity to do computer time yeah. um, has allowed me to take that into my profession and help others understand that loss, grief doesn't have to be confined to the loss of the physical death of someone close to you. Grief is the reaction to any loss or change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly that's exactly right, Jen. Exactly right, and uh, and 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 what good training that is. What good uh, understanding that is to because because uh, by the very nature of things, you know, we're all going to leave our children at some point. You know, we're all mm -hmm. going to leave them. Hopefully, hopefully, touch wood behind. You know, and they, they need and we need to prepare them for that. You know, so so it's um, 
Yeah, what a beautiful journey. Yeah, and it's it's been beautiful working with you. So, 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 uh, thank you. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say any more than that. It's just been wonderful. It's mutual. <laughs> it is. Okay. Good. Good. Awesome. So, where can people find you, Gordon? Oh, uh, in Scotland. Touche. Good job. Right now, right now, I'm in uh, I'm in Glasgow. I'm shortly. I'm I'm a, I'm a hugely interested in that lighthouse you've got because I'm moving to an island uh, next month. I'm moving to the island of Jura, but um, but I'm available in uh, through that hosting or through Twitter, through LinkedIn, through um, yeah various agencies, Facebook. Get me on Facebook, and um, I'm I'm looking to establish a a professional organisation shortly about. Um, yeah, and I'll call it Kurich uh, Coaching, um, based on the model of a, of a vessel uh, where people quite often get stuck and uh, quite often need a oarsman or a steward or a, a guide to help mm. them negotiate the, the choppy waters. So so um, I'll be setting that up very, very shortly in Kurich Coaching to, to help people and uh, looking forward to uh, doing more of these kind of podcasts and chats about it and maybe podcasting from the island I'm quite interested in doing something with that as well so mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I would, I'd love to hear from people I'd love to hear from people who are interested in um, coaching yeah and um, in grief and grief work particularly in collaboration and in participatory processes mm-hmm. um, having conversations that matter I think is key um, and that might not just be in the household that might be in the workplace that might be in the church, the community, wherever a conversation has to be had, and I think I think there's an awful lot of places we, we just see. You just need to watch the news or pick up a newspaper. You think if only they could talk, if only there could be a dialogue, you know. So yeah. we, we see that globally, and we see it we see it locally, and we see it domestically. So mm-hmm. so so I'd welcome welcome feedback, welcome contact. So wonderful. Thank you again. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this, join us next time. And more of my work can be found on my website, grievingcoach.com and LinkedIn, Jenny Diltz hyphen grieving coach. And you can also join me on Facebook at Jenny Renter Diltz. Thank you for listening today and stay tuned for more. <laughs>